listeners, and welcome to the NK News podcast, recorded here in Seoul on Monday, March 24, 2019. Today, I am joined by lawyer Michael Hay to talk about doing law and business in Pyongyang. But before that, an announcement. Once again, NK News is offering a free year subscription to one reviewer who reviews our podcast, either at iTunes or any of the other podcast platforms. And don't forget, you can save $50 off your NK News subscription if you use the code podcast at the checkout. Just go to nknews.org. And if you enjoy this podcast, do share it with your friends and strangers and neighbors so that our listenership will grow. Okay, my interview guest today is Michael Hay, who since November 2018 has been a colleague of mine at my day job at HMP Law. Mike is a British-French dual national with roots in Scotland. After studying law in Scotland, he qualified for the bar in New York and practiced there before coming to Seoul in the 1990s. In 2004, he moved to Pyongyang to start that country's first and so far only international law firm. Tightening sanctions convinced him to put his office on ice in 2016, and last year he came back to Seoul, where he now heads up HMP Law's DPRK team. I'm very happy to have him on today, both as a, a colleague and as an expert in doing law and business in North Korea. Welcome, Mike. Pleasure to be here, uh, Jackal. Now, you're also a, a subscriber to uh, NK Pro, which is uh, NK News's um, professional uh, service. Do you find it useful? Uh, Jackal, uh, I've said this in public. Uh, I say this in private. I do not know of any source which matches NK News or NK Pro at all. Uh, we know such uh, excellent sources as uh, 38 North and others. However, th there's nothing that meets, in my, uh, in my estimation, uh, NK Pro. I'm a subscriber. I wish to remain a subscriber. And I just can't say that there is nothing that beats NK Pro. Well, that's certainly great to hear. Uh, when people hear that you work for 12 years, have worked for 12 years in Pyongyang, I imagine they must have a lot of questions. Uh, we're going to try to see how many of those we can clear up for them. So for starters, how did you end up going north after working for several years in Seoul? Long story, Jackal. Uh, to cut a long story very, very short, I was in New York. I was working and on the subway to Wall Street, my accent was picked up by somebody, a, a young uh, uh, Korean American lady. Uh, I got to know her, her culture, and then I made a decision to go to South Korea because I wanted to know her culture. And I made the transition at the same time as I viewed that there was a fantastic future for South Korea. South Korea was then the, 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 the prompting point for me to go to North Korea for almost the same reasons, the future, the future of Korea in which I have great faith. When you first went to North Korea, did you know that you would end up opening an office there or was it uh, more of a short-term trip? Absolutely not. I went up on a, uh, a visit organized by the European Chamber of Commerce, as it was then called, the one here in Seoul, EUCCK, I believe in the old days, mm -hmm. went up and was absolutely hooked. What hooked you? The people and the, the openings the, the the future i guess i guess that's the bottom line the future i could see what was going on and i could see where this country was going okay and so how was it then that you got the uh, i guess the invitation from north korea to go and uh, and open an office there well i actually asked for an invitation it was it, it was a chamber that asked for it we went up and in china a, a town which escapes me 
we sat around for hours waiting for somebody to deliver entry papers. So that's how I went up first. And so who were you dealing with in North Korea to get permission or an invitation to open? I was dealing with the what they call the Ministry of Foreign Trade, the Muyok Song, which is now the Taewe Kyongje Song, and they were my counterparts. And was it difficult to negotiate the opening opening of an office? It was it took time to explain to them, but they were absolutely not negative in any respect. We just had to uh fine tune certain characteristics of the project. For your information, the whole game started uh when I was bringing in an international law firm to North Korea. They backed down because of sanctions. You mean the the law firm that you were working with? I was work, working with, not working for, but working with, yes. Mm-hmm. Negotiating with. Yep. They backed down, understandably so. They were one of the top 20 uh, largest law firms in the world. And then I said, what do I do next? And I said to myself, well, open up a law firm yourself, Mike. Did that take, was that a, a case of foreign direct investment or was it a joint venture? How, how, what, is, what form does that actually take? It was basically a hybrid joint venture. Mm. So the other side was the Ministry of Foreign Trade. Were there at that time, this is in 2004, right? Correct. Yeah. Were there already uh, standard procedures for things like registering a business name, getting a permit to operate, uh, hiring, uh, renting an office space, having a sign made? Was that you know kind of streamlined or were you really uh, breaking new ground there? A, a bit of both. To tell you the truth, I don't know the exact answer to your question, but it was streamlined, yes. Now, I presume that as a, a U.S. qualified lawyer, which you are, uh, you're not actually allowed to uh, practice in uh, North Korean law or plead in a North Korean court. Is that correct? Correct. So you must have had North Korean lawyers who would do that for you. Absolutely. And who were these lawyers and where did they come from? Well, I can't give you names, addresses and telephone numbers, but they were all from Kim Il-sung University, College of Law, as it's called in English, uh, with the exception of one person uh, whom I sent to the In Min Kyungje Tehak, uh, which was What's apparently it, they, uh, a, a university for People's University, uh, Economic University, mm-hmm. which it seems to be is a clearinghouse for technocrats, okay. and he did his law there. Is that in Pyongyang too? In Pyongyang. Okay. And how many lawyers, how many North Korean lawyers were working for you at any one time? At any one time, there were no more than three or four in the office. They uh, had other hats to wear, other jobs. So what I had was a pool of about 12, okay. from which usually one, two, sometimes three would come to the office at my request. And uh, on major deals, we had four or five lawyers working all together. So it was the pool of, of lawyers that you were working with. Were they under the uh, the Ministry for uh, Foreign Trade? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so if you wanted to get somebody new or, or if you were shorthanded, you'd call up the Ministry of Foreign Trade and say, could you send a couple more lawyers down, please? Exactly. Okay. Now, you mentioned that they wore a number of other hats. Uh, having spoken uh, years ago to a... Uh, uh, a European investor in North Korea, he told me that he had uh, a staff of people and sometimes on any given day they might say to him with one hour's notice, today we're all going off to the countryside to uh, pick rice or we have a party training or a meeting or an outing or something and, and he would never know 
uh, in advance, you know, he, he wouldn't be given a calendar saying, well, look, you know, next month there are these three days that we're going to take off. Did you have the same kind of surprises? No, I didn't actually. But I did have forewarning that they were going off to the fields to pick rice. Okay, so, so the lawyers did do that too? Absolutely. And how often would that be in a, in a given year? Two or three times, mm. max, max. Okay. Uh, now, the, the lawyers that you had, the, the pool of 12, were they uh, assigned to you by the ministry or were you allowed to choose them somehow? Did you have a, a way of interviewing or vetting them? I had an interview, of, uh, a way of interviewing and vetting. So it was a, a choice on my part. And were there any people who you turned down and said, I don't think they're really ready for international work just yet? No. Okay, so they were all quite well uh, well trained and, and competent? I think that's an understatement. They were absolutely superb. How was their English? Superb. And their uh, their knowledge of international business? Oh, you got me there. I would face a question many times about what is the law about this or this or this, as if there was one single law in the in the entire planet. Uh, so that was a, quite a challenge getting across to them. But their knowledge was very good. They were extremely well educated from, from the university. Uh, but the challenge was explaining to them common law, civil law, mm. etc. The differences and the fact that there is no one single coherent law, whether it's arbitration or, or you name it. In your work, did you find North Koreans to be flexible or did they rigidly stri- stick to a script? They had a script, but uh, they were flexible. I can give you one example of a, a, a story where I had an energy company mm-hmm. from Europe in, in town, and for some reason the representative wanted a, a substitution of a player in my team. Now, that would normally have taken several protocols to go through, was uh, that because they didn't take a liking to that person? Exactly. Okay. It, it, they just, it didn't click. Mm. And uh, I went to my superior uh, on the, uh, in, the, in the Ministry of Foreign Trade and I simply said, trust me, uh, forget the protocols and the layers of, of protocols. We need a, a, a new player on the field. And he looked at me, trusted me, and switched. So in that respect, they were flexible. But, of course, they did have a script to work through normally, but they were flexible when I pushed them. Kind of harking back to an earlier question, but again, um, the level of knowledge or understanding of how capitalism works or the principles of profit-making or why an an overseas company would want to invest in in North Korea, did your uh, North Korean lawyers show an understanding of that? Yes, and... Frankly, to my surprise, in the building of the MFT, the Ministry of Foreign Trade, uh, I had a senior official tell me, uh, it must be 15 years ago, in the building, uh, we have a a sort of capitalist small system here. I was absolutely stunned to hear those words in a government building. What do you think he meant by a capitalist small system? I guess the things we're talking about, such as the uh, the the markets, the Tongil market, etc., and and the the realization of profit that profit is good. So, how would you rate your uh, North Korean colleagues to, uh, to, compared to foreign lawyers outside North Korea? Superb. 
I have one uh, gentleman I can think of. He uh, he had a, a doctorate in in law. He was I think he was nicknamed the the jewel of uh, Kim Il Sung University College of Law. Mm. A wonderful individual. And he participated in one major case we had when I had to call in the troops uh, and they came running and we had to put together an opinion letter at short notice to the United Kingdom. Uh, Where was your office in, in Pyongyang? Were you inside the Ministry of Foreign Trade? They were inside the Ministry of Foreign Trade. I was actually both uh, uh, my residence and my office. I was in the Pyongyang Hotel, which is an absolutely wonderful hotel, not very well known because mm. it's visited by predominantly what they call the Che Il Tongpo, not Che Il Kyopo, Koreans who live in Japan. So there are very few foreigners. And that was where both your office and your residence were? Correct. From the hotel, could you call overseas, fax overseas, send emails, etc., without problems? I could call, fax, send without problems. Email included, although I would like to point out that the email was only by Mike Hay. They could send their emails from the ministry mm. uh, with thumb uh, th- thumb authentication, a thumbprint, really? Uh, yes, or or eye print. Uh, wow! And that was limited. But as I said, I, I was the only one who could email uh, uh, formally. Yep. But the internet, mm-hmm. not the intranet, yeah. but the internet was uh, a small sum of seven hundred dollars a month. Well, for that's, broadband. That's not a small sum. That's quite a bit of money. To Scotsman, definitely. Yeah. Could North Korean lawyers be counted on to act in the best interests of their foreign clients? Yes, insofar as the system in North Korea permitted them. Uh, that's a terribly political uh, answer. But they, they did push the envelope. They, they, they worked hard. And when I asked for the law, they gave me the law. When I asked them to push, they pushed. So, uh, reminding you that I only represented foreigners, these people were very, very frankly pushing the envelope in terms of trying to promote the legal environment uh, that would be acceptable to foreigners who needed to know that if they ran into trouble, could they get a a fair hearing? What about your access to the laws of the DPRK? Were there any challenges in that? I think the the biggest challenge is that I'm not fluent in Korean. I spoke Korean every day, all day, but I'm not fluent. Frankly, it's tough reading laws in in a different uh, uh, character script. When I wanted the law, I went either to the books which are translated or I asked my colleagues and they got the law. And that's one thing uh, which really I, I would like to... To, to, to press the, the, the communication of laws, uh, regulations, etc. is somewhat sensitive. Mm. When I asked them, I got the answer. They gave me the answer. Do you think that the Ministry of Foreign Trade or, or just the system in general would have been um, as welcoming of a lawyer who was fluent in, in uh, reading Korean and able to read the law for themselves? I'm sure. So it, it wasn't that they welcomed you because you're a foreigner? I think they they simply wanted a foreigner who understood their system. I guess uh, rather than language, a foreigner who respected them, respected the protocols, the restrictions, but even though he did not speak or he or she did not speak uh, fluent Korean, 
we communicated and we communicated damn well. Okay, so uh, let's talk about the kind of legal work that you were doing. So you weren't, you know, you, you weren't in court. You didn't do, uh, you know, criminal defense. So you were doing mediation. Is that the right word for it? Or arbitration or dispute resolution? Arbitration. All right. So uh, let's talk about arbitration then. How does that work? Well, the process is, is similar to in most other countries. You, you file a, a claim. You have a response. You have an exchange of papers. Uh, then you have a hearing. And then you have a post-hearing exchange of papers. And then you have a decision by the tribunal. That's how it worked. And it was very similar to foreign countries, frankly, and very, very fast, faster than most arbitral tribunals. What's the body that oversees arbitration in North Korea? Good question. If, if you get the answer, please tell me. Uh, I'm not sure. There's no Ministry of Justice, but the Korean International Trade Arbitration Committee, which is the preeminent body, uh, they are under the, the, the tutelage, shall we say, of the Ministry of Foreign Trade, or now the Ministry of External Economic Affairs. Okay, so it's the... Uh, KITAC. KITAC, Korea International Trade, trade Arbitration, arbitration Committee. Okay, and uh, would, you have, uh, would there be one arbitrator in each session or, or a number of them? You can have three, but it was usually one. Mm -hmm. And did you tend to see the same arbitrator each time? No. Oh, so there would be quite a bunch of them then? Absolutely. Rotating? Absolutely. All right. Uh, and you say that the, the process was quite fast compared to overseas. How long would uh, an average arbitration take from, from start to finish? Six months. And that is very, very short if you compare to the International Court of Arbitration of the ICC, mm -hmm. if you compare to Singapore, if you compare to uh, Hong Kong, very rapid. In fact, the, the reason one of my arbitrations took place for uh, a period of six months was because it was extended due to Ebola. I was quarantined in my in my premises. People were not coming in or going out of North Korea, and we had to delay the the proceedings. Mm. So the bottom line is very fast, very rapid, uh, without being overly rapid. Uh, and I have compared it with other institutions of arbitration, where it can take literally years to get a result. Did you feel you, that you got a, a fair chance in these, uh, or a fair hearing in these uh, proceedings? Yes. Would I qualify that answer? Of course. We're talking home ground. We're talking North Korea. Mm -hmm. But yes, I we we got a fair he hearing, and n not wishing to boast, uh, and subject to confidentiality. Uh, I would disclose to you that my papers that I wrote, the, the briefs to the tribunal, they were sometimes extremely severe in terms of contention mm. with the other side. Uh, I had no uh, pushback from anybody regarding any papers I ever submitted. So I, I believe I got a fair hearing. I believe, more to the point, my clients got a fair hearing. Are you able to give an example of an arbitrator who ruled firmly in favor of your uh, foreign client or in favor of you as, as counsel during an arbitration? Well, ruling in favor, uh, that could be the, the end result in terms of, you know, 100% victory. Yeah. Or it could be a, a, a motion during the process. I want to focus on the motion during the process. I was up front before a North Korean uh, tribunal, a North Korean arbitrator, trained in Germany. 
I was going up against, on behalf of a foreign client, three ministries. I had two lawyers opposite me, two North Korean lawyers, and they objected to my presence. They objected to my, uh, wrongly, under the law, to, to my ability to plead on behalf of my foreign client. Mm. And this gentleman of an arbitrator, who was, by the way, exceptionally well-trained and uh, a superb jurist, he finally, uh, this mild-mannered arbitrator, stood up literally and said, Tesso, enough. If you continue to object to the presence of Michael Hay, uh, we stop the proceedings now and we push them over for a few months' time. Wow. They backed down and we went ahead with the hearing that day and the hearing was closed and we later got a victory, although to, to my regret it wasn't a 100% victory, but we got a partial victory on behalf of the foreign client. Was that the only time that you actually had a, the opposing lawyer object to your very presence in the room? Yes. Hmm. And so generally they would accept? Yes. Did you... Although, up- although if I may interrupt, sorry, Jacko. Yeah. Uh, bear in mind that uh, considering that most of uh, a large number of, of deals are really Chinese deals, mm. the Chinese tend not to use lawyers. So in, in many respects, there would be many arbitrations where I was not present because it was a Chinese company that did not use lawyers and they were defending themselves. Ah, so representing themselves in the arbitration. Exactly. How did it work out for Chinese firms who didn't use lawyers but chose to represent themselves in arbitrations? I honestly don't know because I I rarely represented Chinese firms. Right, right. But did you perhaps hear back from your... uh either your lawyers or from the arbitrators, that it doesn't work out so well if you uh, choose to go it alone? Yes. Yeah, I can imagine that. Uh, So while maintaining lawyer-client confidentiality, of course, what kind of clients did you have? What can you tell us about them? Were they generally from from Europe or were they generally in a certain industry or sector? They were from generally Europe and Asia. Europe, I can uh, speak of uh, the the field of aviation and uh, uh, financing and leasing of aircraft. There was Presumably ag- not for the North Korean Air Force, I'm guessing. Uh, <laughs> you got it right. You've interrupted me. You've, you've, uh, you've lost me. Uh, agriculture, mm. IT, and energy, absolutely energy. And this is one thing I, I really want to push. They are into wave power, wind power, solar power, many other aspects of energy, including energy savings. One company that I put on the ground is an expert, a world leader in saving the waste of, of steam and, and heat mm. that, that comes out of, of uh, factories. So capturing that, that heat energy and converting it into something else. Into to, electric- uh, well, putting it back, putting it back into, into the factory. Putting it back into ah. the factory, yes. Okay. And so the- these are just, I, I, I gave you a couple of yeah. examples. Uh, however, I would point out that a lot of work was by email, it was by foreign blue chip law firms, mm-hmm. Moscow office of an international law firm, uh, English office, a London office of an international law firm, uh, seeking advice uh, or an opinion letter. So a lot was done by email rather than face to face. Were most of your clients involved in, um, in in some form of joint venture, whether it be a hybrid or, or whatever? Yes. Mm, okay. Uh, now, these are, of course, under current sanctions, uh, United Nations sanctions, U.S. sanctions. It's not possible to have a joint venture in North Korea at the moment, is it? That's my understanding. Mm. Before, all, you know, before that 
those sanctions, were you able to make money in North Korea? Good question. There were lean times, uh, Jacko, very lean times when uh, the spring was dry. There were times when it was a large amount of money, uh, whether for an arbitration or a a project to put a company on the ground. The cash flow, uh, the, the revenue, basically followed the news headlines. When the news was great, uh, positive uh, uh, on CNN, BBC or whatever, things went well. When the news was bad, things correspondingly d- uh, went bad. So it was, it, was, it was a mix. Great times and very lean times. Would you say that the rule of law applies in North Korea? Yes. Does it apply to the satisfaction of the international community? I'm not so sure. But there is an understanding that if they do not have a legal system and uh, a dispute resolution system in place, they will not attract uh, foreigners. Uh, Field of Dreams, the American movie, mm. if we build it, will they come? I guess that's the, that's the position they, they, they have. They have to have a credible legal system. So the answer would be a qualified yes. Did you get the feeling that North Korea is serious about legal revisions in terms of dealing with uh, foreign investment? Absolutely. No question. My colleagues who are all North Korean lawyers are burning out and have been burning out uh, for years in terms of revising laws, improving laws, just as in any other country. Did they ever come to you for advice? Like, you know, how, how could we, you know, streamline this or make this better? Oh, my God. Uh, absolutely. That's what I spent 12 years doing. Oh, okay. So it wasn't just dealing with foreign clients. It was also giving advice on how to uh, simplify regulations and laws for foreign investment. Yes, and I worked with them on the revisions of the re- laws and regulations, including arbitration law and others. Now, what about uh, special economic zones? There are a number of them uh, in North Korea, and there's more on the way. Did you deal much with them? No. I, I visited uh, what was called Rajin Songbong at the time, but now Rason. Mm. Uh, there are people who are far more qualified than I am to talk about the, the SEZs. However, I took no interest in Kaesong for one reason. I viewed that as an intra-Korean deal Korean companies with Korean companies and the Korean government in the plural. Mm. And I was focused on Pyongyang, not the SEZs. I was focused on foreign companies in Pyongyang and in what I would call the mainland uh, rather than the SEZs. I still lack in my information and interest in the SEZs Although I know there are several people who are very dedicated to the SEZs and see them as critical to the future of North Korea. So why did you ultimately decide to uh, suspend operations? Very simple. There was no longer a credible business uh, justification for for keeping the uh, law firm, the multidisciplinary practice open. Uh, this happened in 2016. There was the test in January, and following that test, the U.S. ramped up the sanctions enormously. I stayed 272 days nonstop in 
my office. Uh, people usually go in for one, two, three, four, five weeks. Uh, NGOs, they're, they're there for a month and go and rest. I spent nine months trying to keep the thing alive, but finally realized that there was no business case. And ultimately, I made the decision to pull out and put it, as you said, on ice. In that regard, if you'll permit me to add a comment. Sure. Uh, my grandfather was a Scottish policeman. He was in law enforcement. And in the States, uh, there is a statement uh, or a, a, yeah, a statement basically saying, don't mess with the feds. If I can paraphrase that, my comment on the current situation is don't mess with the Americans. I believe the Americans are behind uh, the the push on sanctions much more than the UN. The countries who have not reported uh, their obligations uh, regarding uh, trade with the North, uh, they have basically let down the UN. However, it is quite clear that the, the United States is very much uh, behind the push and the pressure upon North Korea. I'm not saying that's good. I'm not saying it's bad. I have my own very clear position on the matter, but don't usually uh, speak publicly on the global uh, the uh, global position. Do you still have something to go back to in Pyongyang? Uh, I mean, do you still have uh, possessions up there? <laughs> Jacko, when a Scotsman leaves his kilt somewhere... It means he's coming back to get it. So I have my full kilt, which I actually wore in the street mm. in Pyongyang. I have all my possessions, my music, my DVDs, my clothes, uh, my ancillary affairs up, up, up north on ice. So that made a challenge coming back to the south after so long in the north. Mm. I have many reasons to go back to the north, and I intend to do so rapidly. Uh, let's talk a bit about just the, the practice of living uh, in Pyongyang as a foreigner. There are, of course, there is an international community there, mostly diplomats. How did you find their uh, reception of you as an international lawyer in Pyongyang? I think you could possibly throw it back to my face and say, how did I find them? Yeah, well, did you mix well with them? Well, I hope so. I lived outside the international compounds. Mm. I, I was living among the North Koreans by choice. Uh, what really, really struck me was that people from certain embassies, including embassies of countries uh, that are in the uh, UNSC, the Security Council of the United Nations, mm. would ask me a question such as, do they have laws? Is there a legal system? And these were often people who were on the ground in order to study the economy mm. and the legal system of the DPRK. So I was utterly shocked sometimes to hear such basic questions as, do they have a legal system? From people who were on the ground in order to find out that very fact. Wow, that is interesting. Uh, did you find your movements were restricted? Were there any places that were off limits to you? Well, I guess I didn't make it to Yongbyon. That's but where the it, uh, nuclear reactor is for our listeners. Yeah, that's, but most people wouldn't be allowed to go there, I imagine. In the early years, I, of course, had, shall we say, for a better word, minders. But as mutual trust grew and grew and grew, 
with my knowledge nonetheless that I could blow it in one deal, in one uh, uh, false wrong statement or one mis- misstep. As things developed and the mutual trust built up, I became very free. I, I would walk around uh, Pyongyang without a minder, without a protocol officer. I would go into cafes, restaurants, bars. I would walk by the sidewalk the 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 uh, of uh, the Dedonggang Dedong uh, River mm. and I can't I've lost count of the number of times I had picnics spontaneous picnics with the the civilians with the the people of Pyongyang who would call me over and we would be having food singing uh, spontaneously uh, Korean songs uh, just from a walk in the park literally so I was very free and did not feel restricted. Uh, but I stress that that came after several years. Mm-hmm. It took a long time to build up the trust. But it, it was, a, it was a flattering to know that they would allow me to, to do that without uh, any repercussions. Did you ever have any clashes with the North Korean authorities? No, never stopped by police. I had no clashes. If I had clashes, they were limited to the legal sphere Mm. when I would have clashes with witnesses, with people on the other side. And uh, in that regard, with the support of my North Korean colleagues uh, who were with me when I was cross-examining or uh, doing an examination in charge, I did clash heavily with witnesses and I also uh, threatened them with perjury hmm. and told them in front of a North Korean tribunal, again, a North Korean arbitrator and and counterparts who were North Korean defendants or respondents, I stressed to them that I would have no hesitation in going after them in their own legal system, even if that included the Supreme prosecutor's office, uh, although it's now called the the central prosecutor's office. All right, let's talk about uh, current and future prospects. Uh, What's your current take on the situation of business on the ground at the moment? Is it still too early to go back in there? Too early. Uh, So you wouldn't advise people to try any kind of investment in North Korea now. I mean, North Korea certainly tries to attract investment uh, regardless of the international situation, but now would be the wrong time. Is that more or less correct. It's in my interest to say, as a consultant and as a lawyer, absolutely come in right now, go get in on the ground. But <laughs> my, my answer, you've got it absolutely spot on, Jacko. This is not the right time. Mm. What would be the first sign or signs that uh, things are changing and it, it could be okay to go there once again? First, I think, frankly, it would be a movement by the Americans of some flexibility, I understand that why they are not necessarily flexible, but I think the key would be a move, a, a, a spontaneous move by the American administration, giving some leeway to the to the North Koreans that, okay, we're, we're going to cut you some slack. Mm. Uh, we want everything denuclearized, but we're willing to see you guys do it step by step. That would be the indicator. Where should people go if they're looking for information, serious information about North Korea? North Korea. Uh, But uh, without being flippant, you and I both know people who are far more qualified than I am linguistically and in terms of the laws. 
uh, to actually dig deeply, deeply, deeply into the, the, the laws and regulations. I'm not fascinated by legal journals. I'm fascinated by the, the face-to-face, down-and-dirty negotiations with the North Koreans. After the failure of the Hanoi summit, what are your perspectives for the next couple of years? My perspectives, I don't know. My hopes are for progress. I believe there will be some great progress. Interestingly, we saw President Trump cancel the recent uh, sanctions against two Chinese companies. Now, he may not get brownie points from a lot of people in the State Department or elsewhere for that, but it shows to me there is a willingness to, shall we say, breach or break the rules or reason out of the box, uh, think out of the box in diplomacy. That's my that's my answer. I don't know what the future holds. It could go south. It could go back to the terrible days of April 2017, July, August 2017. That's not my hope. Uh, but I cannot predict to you. I don't have a crystal ball. And anyone who claims to have a crystal ball uh, about North Korea is lying. Just talking about sanctions, you mentioned them. Uh, from your uh you know, you were there up until 2016. Did you see sanctions working as they're intended to work? Forgive the language, uh, listeners, uh, but the North Koreans don't give a rat's ass about sanctions. Or at least that has been the case until perhaps relatively recently when maybe things are beginning to kick in mm. uh, under the pressure predominantly from the US and not the UN. But I can tell you, I, I viewed very few indicators of sanctions hurting the people. In fact, they laughed, literally, I guess not, they laughed at sanctions. They've been there, they've done that, they've got the T-shirt. They have lived with sanctions for decades. They're not about to collapse. I can guarantee all the uh, assets I have in my life, they are not about to crash, fall and burn. Mm. Uh, North Korea is not going away whether people like it or not. So you don't see that uh, the North is, is, well, that the sanctions are pushing the North to come back to the negotiating table? The North Koreans remain at their highest level of self-confidence mm-hmm. that I've seen ever since my first interaction in 1998. I don't see them folding and collapsing. I don't, frankly, uh, regarding the six-party talks, I have maintained for years and years that the six-party talks are dead they were dead on arrival. I may be absolutely and totally, utterly wrong in that regard, but that remains my position. The key in my in my own estimation is the relationship between the DPRK and the Americans. So let's finish up with uh, a couple of uh, quick anecdotes. So what's your best memory uh, from North Korea that you take with you? Best memory, I'll try and do rapid fire. I was in Myohyang Mountain and... I was doing serum, which is, I guess, the the Korean, Korean equivalent of, of of yes of of, of sumo wrestling, mm. and I'm I'm I only weigh uh, six to eight kilograms, but I took down my driver and pinned him down in front of fifty people or so wow. in Myohyang Mountain. To my regret, there's no photograph uh, commemorating that event. Another. Uh, one which sticks out very much in my mind is the following. The Daedonggang River burst its banks terribly. Mud was everywhere. I 
sat down and asked my protocol officer, could I join the, the thousands of people, literally hundreds if not thousands, who had spontaneously or semi-spontaneously come out to push the mud back into the Dedongang River. I was the only foreigner there. They allowed me to join them with their bare hands. They were wow. using uh, tree logs, hands, plastic bags to shove the mud back into the river from the riverside. Okay. It, it, it was one of the most emotional uh, times because I sat down at the end of it, having participated with them and with their, their blessing. I don't smoke, but I asked for a cigarette. Mm. A young lady gave me a paper cup of, of water and I simply uh, sipped on the water and s- smoked the cigarette mm. in front of my protocol officer and the tears came down. And it was the emotion of saying, this shouldn't be happening. The two countries, or shall we say, the two parts of two, of the same country, totally divided. It shouldn't be like this. That was one of the highlights of my many, many highlights in North Korea. What about a, uh, a worst uh, moment or a saddest memory that you take with you? I guess the saddest was what made my Korean counterparts, colleagues, friends, of whom I have many, I guess it was the death of Kim Jong-il. I came down from my office uh, down the steps to the second floor and I saw people huddled around the TV screen. There was, They were silent. There was no need for any explanation as to what they were watching. I immediately knew. I went down to the first floor. I didn't say anything, but I went to the receptionist, a uh, gentleman. Uh, he was in tears and I shook his hand, said nothing, and I let the tears drop. It hurt me because it hurt the, the Koreans so badly. Mm. Now, you realize that some people might hear that and, and, and think that, that you are therefore a fan of, uh, of the man, of Kim Jong-il, uh, but you're saying that uh, it came more from a sense of empathy for the people of North Korea. You've got it exactly on point. I, am, I, I avoid politics as much as I can. It was the, the fact that the people were hurting. And I come back to what, what is my uh, love of, of the country. It is, it is the people who are absolutely wonderful. And that's what you miss the most and what will draw you back eventually, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, thank you once again, Michael Hay, for coming in and talking on the NK News podcast. It's been a pleasure talking to you. My pleasure indeed to be here, Jacko. And don't forget, listeners, to uh, check out all of our shows and full bios and show notes on our website, nknews.org. NK News is, as you heard today, the leading repository of North Korean news, research, and analysis, and we hope that you'll go on there and buy a subscription. And you can send feedback, comments, questions, or guest suggestions to podcast at nknews.org. Our podcast was produced, as always, by Arias Dare and facilitated by Chatter, Carol, and Christina Lee. And lastly, a reminder that one random reviewer per week will win a free NK News membership, so please review us after listening, and you might win. And if you want to buy a podcast, you can save $50 off your so not buy a podcast. If you want to buy a subscription, you can save $50 off your subscription by using the code podcast at the checkout. Thanks and listen again next time. <laughs> <laughs>